we're, we're looking at what are the different catalysts? What are the different tools that God uses in our lives to speed up growth and change and faith? And God cares so much for us that He wants to grow our faith, that He will introduce things to challenge and to stretch our faith. And um, if I'm going to grow in my relationship to God and you're going to grow in your relationship to God, then your confidence in Him has to grow as well. And faith is so critical to this life that God will do things to speed up the process of growth of our faith. And so this morning we're looking at uh, two of five different catalysts. Catalysts speed up change. And so we're going to look at two of the five this morning. And we're going to start by looking at Paul Paul in a prayer that he prayed in Ephesians chapter 3. And in this prayer, Paul, he's a church planter. He is praying for a church in Ephesus, modern-day Turkey. And he wrote this prayer um, down that was in his letter um, to that church. And he's asking in this prayer that this group of people, this new group of Christians, would really grow because there's all this pressure for them to grow. So it's a new group of Christians. They're young in their faith. They need to grow up really fast. There's lots of distractions, lots of hostility, lots of pressure on them, lots of threats to their growth. And so Paul, he, 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 it's like he pauses in his letter and he prays a prayer and he writes that prayer out for us. And so I'm going to read it to you. And it's not going to be up on the screen quite yet because some of the verses we have are not in there. But I'm going to read from verse 14 in chapter 3. Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he might grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So he's praying this for that church. He says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. See, all of these things he's praying for, for strength, to be rooted and grounded in love, comprehend God's love for us, to know his love, to be filled. All these things are indicators of a growing faith. When these things exist, that's indication that God's growing a person's faith. So he's praying that this would be um, true of them. And then he ends this prayer with this uh, verse 20 and 21. He ends this prayer with a statement of confidence in God. And I want to look at this for a moment. Look at this statement at the end of his prayer. He says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. There are very few things that we speak with this much certainty of. I mean, when do you ever use confidence you know, phrases in confidence like he's saying right here. He, there's all sorts of certainty and confidence at the end of his prayer. He's like, I'm committing this prayer to the one who is able to pull it off. He's able to do all, he, you know, what he can do is, is far beyond what any of us can imagine or think of. Paul has gained this tremendous confidence in God through experience. He has seen God come through. He knows the power that's at work within him. He knows the fact that God can do more than we can think up, than we can dream up. He can do more than we would believe is possible if we will trust him to work. This is what God is capable of doing. Paul knows that by experience. Faith is like a muscle. And so Paul has grown his faith because he's been working that faith muscle all his life. And he's able to pray such a confident prayer. Uh, just like you know, your own physical muscles, if you 
if you stretch them, you know, they, they'll grow when they're used. Uh, on the opposite, if, 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 you know, they won't grow if we, if we do nothing. Faith is, is so similar to that. Paul's confidence is so accelerated because he had seen God work. He'd put him to the test. In a sense, he's, he, he'd risked so many different things, and he'd seen God come through. In, in supernatural ways, he's seen God come through, through provision. There was needs that come up. Paul met those, or God met those needs in Paul's life. There was times where he needed protection. God met needs of protection supernaturally. There was people dying that God used Paul, you know, in his ministry to heal. God, you know, kept coming through in all these unimaginable ways. And what they did is it just um, it continued to lay out this confidence that Paul is expressing in this prayer. And if you and if I will choose to rely on God then our confidence can grow like Paul. We can begin to pray prayers of real confidence and certainty knowing God will come through. Today what I want to do is we're going to look at two ways that God grows this faith muscle to develop our confidence in Him. One is, how do we make the most of Sunday morning teaching? I want to answer that question. I want to look at that issue. How do we make the most of teaching on a Sunday morning, whether it's coming from me or anyone else who comes up on this stage to deliver a message, or if you're not here, just... You know, somewhere else. How do you make the most of that time? Because there's a variety of different communicators and preachers. And how do you make the most of that? And then second, how do you make the most of your personal time with God? Those are two catalysts. Teaching and personal discipline. Um, so this is the first catalyst is, catalyst is practical teaching. When, when I prep for a Sunday morning, you know, I have different options. One is I can make it all about, I can make it all about me being right and me being true, and me making a point. And I'm coming to make a point this morning. Um, the problem is, this time needs to be more than me making a point. This time needs to be about the Bible making a difference. It's not just about making a point that would be like, wow, he really made a great point this morning. But it's, it's that the Bible would make a difference in our life, not just make a point of thinking. So the question is, is it, is it making a difference? Not am I doing a good job, but is is when you come on a Sunday morning, is it resulting in change? Are you any different from, from instruction? Are you thinking, are you living differently as a result? God's Word was given so that we might change as we interact with it, as we're taught it. Um, if, if attending church is, is a new experience for you, then this probably feels a lot like a flashback to grade school or, or just to junior high or high school. You come and you sit in chairs and someone teaches, someone lectures. Um, when I was in junior high, I would position myself in the back desks as close to the door as possible so I could get to lunch or, you know, out to hang out with my friends as quickly as I could. Um, and I would position myself near the back. I would zone out. I would daydream and, and just kind of zone off into space and, and pray that he wouldn't call on me or she wouldn't call on me. And uh, even in, like, in high school, my teacher would be instructing, you know, I was constantly thinking, why does this stuff matter? It's amazing. Like, I look back and I'm like, what do you really get out of high school, Josh? You know, does this, you know, does this stuff matter? Even in college, I remember as professors would lecture, I would, I w- would want to ask the question of, does this, can you let us know, is this going to be on the test? Should I be writing this down? Or, or what makes you the expert? That's something that comes into our mind when someone's lecturing. Who are you? Ooh, what qualifies you to speak on this topic? Oh, you must know everything about math. You must know everything about, about psychology and how people work. And 
You know, we, we deal with all of this stuff in our head when we're sitting in an environment like this. Or maybe you deal with other questions, more, maybe more spiritual questions like, I wonder if there's any other coffee in the back there. I wonder if we ran out of coffee. I wonder if they're refilling the coffee soon. Or when are they going to bring more Krispy Kremes? Why aren't the donuts here this morning? Or, or yeah, you know, what, what? Or I wonder if he is or she is single sitting over there. Or, you know, I wonder if I can find my way back to talk to that person. There's all sorts of things that are going through our mind when we come to church. Or who is this guy? Or when's he going to be over? When it comes to really engaging, <clears throat> here's something that's really important to understand. is Our attitude towards teaching activates this catalyst. So if our attitude is off when it comes to, you know, showing up, then this, this is what will activate the catalyst. Is We've got to examine our attitude. A few weeks ago, I wasn't preaching. I took a Sunday off from preaching, and Bruce uh, delivered a message. And I had the opportunity to just kind of sit over here and just to be on the receiving end of things, it was great. But sitting right over there, my attitude seemed to be one of the major factors about what I would take away, just like you this morning, or any of us. If I had come with a depressed attitude or I was super, you know, if I had problems or worries or emotions that were distracting or overwhelming me, that's certainly going to impact my ability to allow the catalyst of teaching to, to be a help. Or if my relationship with Bruce wasn't clear. Now it was, and it is. But if it wasn't clear, and he's preaching, and I'm bent out of shape at him, you know, that would certainly have impacted me. Or if, so if you show up and your relationships aren't clear with someone in the room, or someone outside the room, or with me, that, you know, that's going to slow down the ability that this catalyst will actually create change in you. All of these factors impact teaching. Or if you show up and you're convinced, or if I was sitting there a few weeks ago and was convinced, you know, I already know that. I've already read that. I've already given that message. What could I possibly learn? If I, I would have checked out if I had chosen that attitude. If my attitude about myself, or your attitude about yourself, if, if we view ourselves too highly when we come on a Sunday in pride, or if we view our sin not enough, too low, um, then, you know, again, that impacts our ability to really receive what God wants to do through teaching. Uh, this is a hostile world towards people who are trying to, you know, who are in the process of becoming more and more like Christ, trying to walk with God. And so the, the goal of teaching in the church is this. The goal of teaching in the church is to equip us for life and ministry. This is our goal on a Sunday morning, is to equip for life and ministry. Equipping, this word equipping, I want to explain what this word means and then give you an example in the next chapter of Ephesians. Equipping has to do with repairing damage. Or it has to do with filling in holes or filling in gaps. It's the idea of making people more effective. That's what equipping has to do. Making someone or a group more effective. Let's take a look. Paul in, in Ephesians chapter 4. After chapter 3, he pr- wraps up that prayer and he tar- starts in chapter 4 to talk about how the church is organized and what the church is made up of and how we're to be unified in the church. But then he shifts and he starts talking about the spiritual leaders in the church. And he gives the list of five spiritual leaders along with their gifting, the spiritual gifting that they have. And he says this in verse 11. He says, God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists. He starts laying out these spiritual leaders. He, he, he's saying God gave to the church different <coughs> gifts. In, and he's wired certain people within the body. Some of you have some of these giftings as well. 
Um, you have some spiritual leadership gifting. So he lays these out, the gift of apostleship. The apostles are, are starters. They're the people like the missionary types, the church planting types who, who start things. Who are, they catalyze um, efforts and they catalyze um, you know, faith into new areas. And that's a certain gifting. People are sent on a mission to start something. Um, then he says, then there's the prophets. The prophets are the proclaimers. In the Old Testament, the prophets would warn. They would tell people to repent, to turn in a new direction. They would, they would declare God's will for, for his people. Then he says the evangelists. Some, some of you may be wired with the gift of evangelism. This is a, this is a gifting. Um, it's also a command. And so whether or not you're gifted or not, if you follow Christ, you've been commanded to, uh, to share your faith. But some people are more gifted, more effective in the area of bringing the good news, sharing the gospel with others. And they find tremendous fulfillment and joy when they're functioning using that, that gift. Um, but then he goes on. He says, there's also the shepherds and the teachers. The shepherds, the shepherds are the pastors, the one who guide and care for the sheep. They also protect. The shepherds would, would they'd have a staff. The staff was used in order to um, beat back the wolf that might be attacking the sheep. And so the Pastors have the job of guiding and caring for people who are hurting, but also to protect against threat. And so pastors have to, and our pastoral leadership and staff, you know, there's, there's times to stand down threats against the church and against the body because the idea is <clears throat> we have an enemy. We have, we have threats against growth, and so we have to pay attention to that. Um, but then also he says there's the, the teachers. The teachers are the ones who, who provide instruction. They lay out doctrine. They, they give teaching. And then the goal of all of these spiritual leaders is this. He tells us this in the next verse. He says it's to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. To equip the saints. These five spiritual leader gifts are, are used in the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. The word equipping there is used. It has to do with, the Greek word means to mend or to prepare the nets. Like if you're trying to haul in um, a load of fish and you have giant gaping holes in your nets, you know, the job of spiritual leadership is to equip in the sense to fill in the holes, to repair things that are damaged, to make us effective. That's, that's the point of spiritual leadership. And so teaching on Sunday is designed to be on a practical nature to, to, so that people can be effective in life and in ministry. And this is what God uses spiritual leaders to do because he cares he wants the church to be functioning in a healthy way therefore our goal on a sunday morning is is more than just handing out information it goes beyond that teaching that calls for action is really what leads to growth we try to aim to to give uh, information not just for the sake of it but so that people would understand what god says and how his how his ways work so that we could live it out in our lives here's an insightful quote that i found on this on this subject from Rick Warren. He says this. Rick Warren pastors a church in Orange County. He says, The ultimate goal of preaching is not information. In fact, giving people a greater knowledge of the Bible can cause pride to develop in our hearers rather than humility if that information isn't translated into obedience. See, pride can creep in. Pride can, we can come to church with pride and, and not learn anything because of the pride. But let's say you come and you're like, ah, I'm ready to learn. But then you get information. If, if you take it in in, order, in a prideful way, well, now I can win the arguments. Now I can know more than other people. 
And it hasn't really accomplished what God would want to do with it. Look at how he continues. And the goal of preaching is not merely instruction either. Preaching certainly includes instruction, but there's more to preaching than mere behavior modification. He says the goal of well-rounded preaching is transformation and obedience. See, this is what we're aiming to do when we gather. It's, it's to present what God has to say so that we would live differently, so we would think and act differently. If you know that this is the goal, then this challenges us to engage. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't be reading on your own time for information, trying to understand, get a clear understanding. But even in that time, the goal ought to be transformation. God is teaching me this stuff so that I can change, so he'll change me. But on a Sunday morning, think about how you're wired. Some, some folks don't like to write anything down. I understand that. You know, some folks can internalize everything and remember things. Um, <clears throat> But how are you doing that? How how are things sticking long enough to to create change? How is this catalyst operating in your life? Just think about that. That's the first one. It's practical teaching. The second one is this. The second catalyst that really helps us grow is private disciplines. This is what you do when you're not here. This is what you do on your own time to to relate and to connect with God. Discipline is, is really delayed gratification that leads to progress in life. It's focused time. It's intentional time. And in a growing relationship, disciplines are crucial. And so in your faith, this it's so important to develop the area of discipline. When people look back at their growth over a period of years, usually private discipline is the thing that ranks at the highest when people claim to have grown. It's that they've spent more time with God on their own. They've gotten into the Bible for themselves. They've begun to build a, a habit and a discipline of prayer and and. Nothing can quite grow your faith like learning to hear from God on your own. Learning to actually hear what he has to say when you open the Bible and to respond to him. Learning to hear and learning to respond. When you spend time in in private and develop this discipline, that's really what it is. It's not to set goals of how much you can read in one setting or how you can figure things out of the mysteries of of God and his ways. It really is, God, I want to hear you and I want to respond to you. Wow, God, I hear you. Wow, you just spoke to me this morning about what I'm really facing. And now, Lord, would you give me the strength to do something with this? That's what the time is for. It's not just to, again, take in information. It's, It's that God would change us. But abandoning the practice of the private discipline is kind of like leaving God at the periphery of our lives. He's just kind of out there. We We don't focus on him. He's there, but he's just on the sides. And so... But I'm amazed at how easy it is for me personally and in talking with many people through the years of how easy it is to allow this to slip, our personal, just private discipline. Um, But spiritual disciplines, they reveal something about us. Here's what they reveal. Spiritual disciplines are expressions of our dependence on God. These express so much consistency in our spiritual disciplines, reveals a growing dependence on God. Whenever you're consistent, that just shows, wow, that person or you, you have a growing dependence on God. You really believe you need him in your life and that he's going to strengthen you. But neglect, what that does, neglect reveals a growing dependence on who? On ourselves. Whenever we neglect the discipline of time to hear and respond to God, we're, we're revealing that we are depending more and more on ourselves. We've, we're growing in dependence on ourselves. 
Our faith has grown as we dig into the Scriptures and we set our lives, we build our lives to actually do what He says. In fact, doing what God says builds the right foundation. This is what Jesus taught. Check out His words. This is in Luke 6, 46-48. Jesus said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my word and does them, I will show you what he's like. The man that does that is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood rose, the stream broke against that house. It could not shake it because it had been well built. Jesus doesn't mince any words here. He says, if you want a life that will last and you want a faith that will not fail, you must build your life on my words, he's saying. Build your life on my words and my ways. Not mine, but on his. He's, Jesus is saying, look, take me seriously. Do what I say. You cannot follow Jesus and just settle for listening to his words. We have to be willing to live his words out. It goes beyond just hearing, he says. For the man that just hears, if you read on, the one who just hears, hearing only when the storms come, their life is not supported by what they've heard. If they haven't done anything with it. So the discipline of reading the Bible and soaking in what God says, it grows our faith because we get a different picture of reality. We get to see how God really works. and how you know, The Word of God, it shows us what to do. It shows us how to do it. And then God Himself gives us the power that helps us take the small steps forward in our faith. <clears throat> but we have to be careful. When, even when we're sitting there in our private discipline of reading the Bible, it's so easy for our mind to wander and be distracted. And I don't know if this is just a guy thing, but I can do all sorts of things and not engage my mind. Like I can drive and not engage my mind much. Like I can go on a long trip. And I know I got in the car, and I know I got there, but I'm like, oh my gosh. What just happened? Was that time travel? Because it's like you just transport... And somehow you check out for a few hours. You're like, wow, I just drove down that mountain and I didn't even... Wow. It's just easy for our minds to wander and forget. Unless we write things down. Unless we respond. I would encourage you in your personal time, write things down. Take a note so you can be specific about what God is teaching you in your personal time. If you're having a conversation with God and He's teaching you something, write down what He's saying so you don't miss the important things. If I don't write it down, I'll forget. It's like my wife sends me to the grocery store or asks me, can you, you know, my, my office on my way home, I pass Albertsons. And so it's, you know, often that she calls, hey, can you pick up, you know, a dozen eggs? I need some 2% milk. We're low on ketchup and uh, some sesame seeds. Milk. Eggs. Got it. Got it. Okay. I repeat it. Got it. But somehow... When I get there, I pull up. And I'm walking up. I see the red box. I'm like, hey, I've got some time tonight. Scans, oh, this will be fun for the family. I see the auto zone. I'm low on oil. I need gas at the gas station. All of a sudden, I don't even remember why I'm in the parking lot. <laughs> oh, yeah, groceries. Get inside the grocery store. Now, what was I supposed to get? She said eggs. I think she said she needed like one or two eggs. Where do I find the one or two eggs? Here's a dozen. Where's the one or two single eggs? If I don't write it down and I try calling, I, can, I can't get through. Like, man, I know there was something about seeds. Was it a fruit? Fruits have seeds. I'll try that. 
So it's kind of like now that the whole thing is, okay, she knows. Are you writing this down? (laughs) Or I'll say, can you write that down? But my mind, when I'm sitting down, when I'm just going about my life, you know, it's just hard to engage your mind. So we have to eliminate distraction. It really takes focus. Bruce gave a really good message a few weeks ago on this area of connecting with God in your personal time. It's on our website two weeks ago. And there's some great tips on there. But we need to be disciplined in this area to find out God's view on things. The second thing is prayer. Another part of our private discipline. Prayer is an expression of this. It's an expression of our confidence in God. Prayer is not designed to inform God of anything. This is a relief. Could you imagine if you were praying and God was like, wow, that's, I didn't know that. Thanks for filling me in. You know, but instead, He already knows. He knows every detail about every person on the face of the planet. So when we come to Him and pray... We're really reaffirming the reality of our need for Him. We're just reaffirming some things back to Him. We're agreeing. We're getting on His page. Overall, the purpose of our prayer is to shift our perspective from being so self-focused and be more God-focused. Jesus, He provides this perspective about how to do this. This is in Matthew 6, 6 through 6-8. He says, but when you pray, He says, go in your room, shut the door, pray to your Father who's in secret. I think there's many reasons why He says to be you know, alone. Distraction, not doing this for other people. He says part of it here. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. You know, they're babbling in front of others. He's saying, no, do this alone. Let's get with God. Hear from Him, then respond to Him. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. See, here Jesus, He tells us that prayer is not about it's not about our words. It's not so, about how, you know, some quantity of words. Like, I, I need to pray for 30 seconds now. Or 45 seconds. It's not about how many or a certain formula. Jesus is saying it's not about our fervency in prayer. Like, oh, I'm going to do it in a certain way. But, but the focus is on the person that we're asking. It, the focus is on Him. We get to experience communicating with God. Our loving Father who rewards what is done in secret who responds to us, the God who already knows what what we need even before we ask Him. And so these things, reading the Scripture and then responding, this is that second important catalyst. Here's what George Mueller said. George Mueller saw God come through in those unimaginable ways like Paul prayed in Ephesians 3, like the God who can do beyond what we can think or imagine. George Mueller saw some of those amazing things. You can read about his um, biography. Be assured, he said, if you walk with him and you look to him and you expect help from him, he will never fail you. This is true of our God. He will never fail you. Both of these catalysts, whether practical teaching, private discipline, both of these things, they speed up the growth of your faith. I really want to encourage you. If you never take steps of obedience towards these two things, your faith just won't grow. You know, If you've become a Christian but you've never activated these catalysts, then you'll stay an infant in that faith all your life. Because, and there's, there's three others that we're going to look at that the Scripture talks about as extremely important. But these things are so critical is responding, being a person who responds to God's Word, either when it's taught or when you're spending time taking it in, responding to Him. I want to invite our worship team to come back to the stage and also our ushers to prepare to receive the offering this morning. And... I want you to think about 
what is the step of application? I really want to encourage you, create a step of application for yourself. Here's three suggestions, but God may have said something very specific to you. What is it? And then how are you going to remember to do that? What is it God wants you to do? And how am I going to do that? Wrestle with that for a moment. Here's three suggestions. One is evaluate my goal and attitude on a Sunday morning. Maybe sit and pull out the last, I don't know, couple of months of, of listening guides. Pull out the sheet. Look at what you wrote down. And then think about, did I do anything with it? What was my attitude? How's my attitude been when I show up? What am I focused on? What am I thinking? What's distracting me? How can I eliminate those distractions? Or second, make it a pattern to obey God's Word. Look, look back at your quiet time. Look back at your personal time. Think about, how, how is that going? How often am I doing that? Am I responding to God in that time? And then last, develop a, a clearer understanding of prayer. What is it for? What does the Bible teach about prayer? And, and then begin to pray more. Let, let's go to Him right now in prayer. Father, again, we just thank You for Your great love for us. We thank You for these areas that you use to stretch our faith. Lord, I pray you do that. May we be a church who experiences the God who can do the unimaginable. And may that be something that we hear of more and more within our church. That we would have stories uh, of people who are seeing God come through in amazing ways. Changing us. Breaking us down. Breaking strongholds in our lives healing hurts in our lives, healing even sicknesses in our lives and those that we love, just shaping us, molding us, doing the work in us that that we desire, the things that we really want, that we know would please you, that line up with your will and your ways, or that we would see those things come to pass. Not, Not 20 years from now, but in the next few years, Lord, that we would really grow in, in, in tremendous ways, Lord, that we would see you accomplish things far beyond we could ask or what we would imagine. May that be true of us here in this room, in this church. We ask you to bless this offering. Thank you so much, God, for the way that you're growing our generosity. Thank you for the Christmas offering and the things we've been able to do in the past uh, week to begin to send that out, Lord, to meet needs. May you bless the people who are Faithful in their giving and generous, Lord, thank you for, for, for the giving this morning as well. Use it to accomplish your will. In Jesus' name, amen. As the ushers, uh, ushers, you can go ahead and receive this morning's offering. Also, would you drop that connection card in the basket as well? And this week we were able to give away some of the money from our Christmas offering to some different places. And so for those of you who gave it the Christmas offering, Thank you so much. Uh, we were able to give to an international missions offering that benefits several thousand missionaries that are serving overseas. Um, three are from our congregation, and so uh, pretty exciting to be able to support um, three ladies from our congregation who are serving overseas right now. And also we were able to give money to a fund that helps plant churches in um, the state of California, new churches in the state of California. And so we're excited to be able to do that. And then... We set aside some money for needs within the congregation for benevolence as needs come up within the body. And next week, we, Bruce and I plan to deliver a trailer with our donations uh, for the sheepfold shelter. And so, again, thank you so much for your giving. And would you all stand as we close our service?